0: Welcome to Live at the Nut Bar, Episode 7. I'm
1: David Cunningham, CEO of Skrull. And JP. Founder. Hey, uh, last week, JB and I were very proud of ourselves at the end of the podcast, (laughs) thinking it was our best ever. Um, Funny enough, not everyone agreed. (laughs) (laughs) So last week's topic was property investment and the lay of the land. So we explored things like tax and uh, government policy, um, you know how to buy well and so on. Um, the feedback we had despite our sort of pride was that for many people, if they were relatively, if you were relatively new to investment property or were thinking about it, it sort of went flying over your head, especially as we raced through some of the tax um, stuff and, uh, and assumed everyone sort of knew what we were talking about, which clearly we didn't. So today we're going to do property investment 101, JB, and go back to the basics in terms of things like, well, why invest in property in the first place? What are some of the tips and tools to make money, which is ultimately the goal from um, property investment? Um, and some of the things to be aware of in terms of new build versus existing property, some of the things we talked about last week, but we'll go into more detail than we did last week, just to take people along the journey. So first up, JB, question, why invest in property um, for an investment perspective as opposed to owner-occupied?
0: Yeah, well, hey, look, so I I guess there's probably two good reasons why, right? So the first is that um, property prices, well, property long term performs well. I mean, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an asset class or an investment class that has performed well long term. You know, no one, no one can debate that. Yeah, you know, I mean, all asset classes do well. Shares, um, property, leaving your bank doesn't tend to perform that well.
1: But JB, you know, the saying goes with every investment: past performance. Doesn't guarantee or isn't an indicator of future performance, but you're saying actually, you know, look back over long periods
0: of time, decades, it sort of is. is it performs so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it does. I mean, look, fundamentally, it, it, there, there, there's some caveats on there. I think if you were in Japan, you would be going, "Well, property doesn't perform very well at all." Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, this hypothesis that property does well long term is because it's a scarce resource. Mm-hmm and uh and scarce resources over long periods of time perform well. You know, arguably gold is yeah. another, right? Mm. So um but but of course in Japan land isn't scarce, the population's dropping and aging yeah. and um and, and, and um House prices have done absolutely nothing. If, if in fact, have gone down. Right. For yeah. So declining years.
1: population is something to watch out for. Is there probably not a risk of that anytime soon in? But yeah,
0: but but you can see it in New Zealand. So like you know places like Auckland, um, which have experienced you know high levels of growth long term, uh, that's that's translated through into property prices. But mm. you could go to other parts of New Zealand where you know um prices haven't really moved at all or if they have moved it's been recently with very low interest rates but mm. for very long periods of time house prices were incredibly flat mm. you know i've had clients uh, on the west coast of the south island mm. um who you know purchased properties at bargain basement price of 150,000 and sold it 10 years later for 130 <laughs> yeah. you know so yeah. um So ultimately, supply and demand plays plays out,
1: And, and I guess like anything, the quality of the investment matters. So if you sort of think about very long term returns on share markets, you know, equity investments over time have generated far higher returns than fixed interest and you know cash sort of thing. And so if your perspective's long term, you've got to accept a bit more volatility, I guess. And I suppose the last three years has seen extreme volatility, probably some of the most extreme volatility
0: we've seen in New Zealand property
1: prices for, what, you know, 50 years maybe? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, totally. I mean, we've definitely seen volatility that we haven't seen. I mean, GFC house prices fell, you know, sort of circa 10%. Hmm. This time around, we've seen... Prices fall twenty, but, but bearing in mind that the lead up to this fall, prices uh, about went
1: about 40, through the roof, 45%, right? So I think net on net we're up about twenty five, and I think uh, construction costs have also risen about twenty five over this sort of time frame. So, what you get for your money? Hey, yep. so turning to historically, what's made property investment really attractive has been with a rising with inflation and rising house prices, is the ability to gear. So to leverage up that, that capital gain. Exactly. So before we get into tax, talk to us about the benefit of leveraging and how that can amplify losses or gains, and hopefully gains.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully gains, right? But but look, I, I guess other asset classes, it's it's, it's it's a lot harder to leverage. So yes, you can leverage shares, but it's not easy. And, and to be honest, even simply buying and selling shares, you know, historically has been kind of hard. It's got easier with shares now, obviously, mm. or Hatch. Um, but uh, you know, as far as an asset, you can leverage your exposure. So you know, you have fifty thousand dollars. You go and put it in shares. You've got fifty thousand dollars in shares earning a return, and that return might be seven to nine percent long term. Mm-hmm. But that's all that you've got: fifty thousand earning seven mm. to nine percent. With property, uh, you can obviously take that fifty thousand dollars and you can you can buy something you know a lot more significant now. Fifty thousand. Unfortunately, at the moment, it's not enough. Uh, But let's say you had a hundred or two hundred thousand, you could buy yourself a six hundred thousand dollar property. You've now got leverage, right? So, so that that property uh, might have a low cash flow return um, because the rents, you know, not that high. Um, But it will have some level of capital gain
1: over 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 a long period
0: of time. Uh, and uh, and that, that debt uh, sits still, so you're, yeah, you're getting... So debt doesn't
1: inflate, you've just got to pay interest on it, obviously, but the value of the property
0: is, history would show, going to inflate unless it's on the West Coast. Yeah, unless it's on the West Coast, and so you, you're just getting a leveraged exposure. And so you don't need an 8 or 9% uh, return. Um, because the amount of equity that you've got in that property might only be 20 or mm. 30%. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's essentially getting the benefit of all of mm. that. So let's
1: say with 20%, you're getting a fivefold leverage. So if the price went up 2.5%, you're actually getting the benefit of 12.5%. So you know, exactly. if you roughly break even on your cash flow, if your rent is roughly matching your interest costs, which we'll come to in a minute, it's not necessary at the moment, then you know, you've got a geared um, outcome. So that leverage factor is sort of key difference, and as you say, to borrow four hundred thousand to buy five hundred thousand shares feels bloody risky. To borrow four hundred thousand to buy a piece of land with a house on it feels, feels a lot less risky. A lot less risky, and is that why New Zealanders have swarmed? I suppose you know, mum and dad investors have got one, maybe two investment properties alongside their own house. Is it that sense of? something tangible what do you think
0: oh that... uh, yeah look i do i do i mean a lot of the investment property that's occurred in new zealand you know is, is you can think the baby boomers really and and i like i i mean i guess i'm not a baby boom i'm gen x but um my, I guess my parents were probably baby boomers. I just make the cut, <laughs> 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 but we won't go in that route but, but look, my parents <laughs> I last last year of it, by the way. Yeah, but yeah. But but, yeah, but my level. my parents experienced the eighty seven share market crash, mm. and they were invested in shares. You know, like they all used to have these share clubs, and yeah, they'd be I remember. It. Yeah, they'd be drinking uh, and hanging out, talking about all these ridiculous yeah. shares, all of which disappeared. Riley, Equity yeah. Corp, uh, Chase, yeah. Chase Corp, Chase Corp. I, I lost money um, on Chase. Geez.
1: Jodian or something, with Cinema Theatre that became an investment, Rainbow Corporation. Yeah. yeah. Harry Adney, um, TKM. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, early, yeah, Petra Corp. Harry Dines was my favourite. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. And in yeah. those days, for my mates, yeah. Joseph Coots was the drink to drink. Anyway, <laughs> right, moving on. But moving on. <laughs>
0: um, but, um, you know, they, they lost all their money on the share market, and I don't think baby boomers ever went back to the share market after that. Like... You know, it was, um, and then of the, the other things. That, I mean, the, the baby boomers also had the, um, our, our version of the savings and loan crisis, which was you know there were a lot of um, you know there, I guess there were finance companies going under, but and that was the second time round. The GFC, GFC that, wiped out your trust in shares. The, the GFC wiped out your trust in finance companies. I think there were
1: one hundred and thirty three that that went into liquidation in New Zealand, which was. You know the entire industry bar three businesses i think yeah so it's i mean so yeah so yeah, the yeah. trust in those other two alternative forms of investments it was either put your money in the bank and then bigger all actually over the last decade or put it in an investment property and you look backwards and you go well
0: you know the annual return has been probably yeah. more than 10 percent and and i and i think kiwis generally trust things that they can see touch smell and mm. um hopefully not smell but um it, you know, so I think I think that's where um, both New Zealand and Australia's sort of love affair with of, of property comes from. But but also, you know, I guess that pioneering spirit and you know, property has always played a bit of a role in our culture, right? Because, um, because you can own property and. So let's talk about rental yields and interest rates. Because if you are borrowing
1: four fifths of the cost, or, or in fact, perhaps we'll go here first. Is the why can't you borrow hundred percent of the purchase price?
0: Well, LVR restrictions, right? Well, you can. So, so you can borrow a hundred percent of the purchase price if you're able to leverage equity in another property. So, so let's can you give us an example, just work so if if you, you had a lot of equity in your own occupied house, you, you know, so you have to be a, a bit bit of an older borrower, but you know, you've managed to pay most of your own occupied house off. So, so let's say you have got a million dollar house, you have got half a million dollars of debt on it. Well, let's say yeah. Let, well, let's say. Um, uh, yeah, okay, half a million dollars a debt. So you yeah, you've still got a reasonable way to go. Mm. Um, on an owner-occupied house, you can borrow up to eighty percent of its value, so you can borrow up to eight hundred thousand on it. So that would give you the ability to leverage three hundred thousand on your owner-occupied house. Yeah. Now, at the moment, uh, so let's let's assume because there's tax rules at the moment, right? Um, let's ignore those for now. That gives you 300000 that you can use to buy an investment property. Now, there's two ways of doing it. One is that you can just borrow that money up on your own occupied place, so you've got $300,000 cash, mm. and then go and put a deposit down on an investment property. Mm. Or alternatively, we can just leverage that equity by borrowing up to 100% on the investment property. So let's say we buy a half million investment
1: property, we borrow the full Half million, so we're 100% geared on that,
0: and then we cross but guarantee over, it. Overall,
1: we've got one and a half million of uh, of uh, assets and a million of liabilities. So yep. we're 66% geared, and it comes within the OVR restrictions of 80% on owner occupied and 60%. On 65% 65% now. 65% now. Yeah. On investment property. So that's how you get all the debt into your investment property is by leveraging the equity in your now, own house.
0: Yeah. Now in the old days. Go back a few years before Labor changed the rules, um, investors loved doing that because that was fully tax deductible, yep. and so it made sense, right? Because uh, investment property is tax deductible; it would be generating losses, but you couldn't offset those against income. They'd just have to sit there against. Well, the originally investment you property.
1: could offset set those against yep. incomes because I've had an investment property one. Um, for twenty years and originally you could offset it, so you just you know, yep. you got the tax back on that. But that that rule probably was removed six or eight years ago. Yeah. So I guess there's been this progressive unwinding. Firstly you couldn't offset it against your personal income. Then it got ring fenced.
0: Got ring fenced, yep. Then And now you can't <laughs> you can't <laughs> claim it at all at the moment. Yep. That might change. Yeah.
1: So 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 the change was a couple of years ago the Labor government uh, to make property investment less attractive I guess a mm. couple of things one was to move the bright line test we'll come back to that perhaps but one thing was to say that interest is no longer fully deductible even on your existing property so it started at you know fully deductible then it went to seventy five percent eighteen months ago roughly then to fifty uh, percent a couple of months yep. ago and then in in uh, two years time it will be zero so you've got no deductibility of your interest, but you've got revenue from rent, which is taxable. So then so it becomes an awful equation from a cash flow perspective. Oh totally.
0: It? it completely destroys a inve- uh, secondhand investment property. Obviously new builds are exempt, so they are still tax deductible. So the old sem- semi- old rules apply to that. Um, mm. but f- but for an existing property, it's not tax deductible and therefore you're paying your personal tax rate Mm. on all of that income. Mm. And so from a cash flow perspective, it's massive. Yeah. So we touched on this
1: last week, but what is the logical thing for existing owners of investment property that are highly geared to do, now or in the next year or so? Because you're already losing out on 50% of deductibility, your interest costs are probably going up a lot. Should every investment property buyer who's got any degree of reasonable gearing, sell? So. Vote national. Why?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they want to make this political. Why do, you,
1: why, do you, why do you say vote national? What are they well, going to do? Because, this stuff?
0: because they've, they've said that they will bring back interest deductibility on investment property. Right. So, I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? And I, I said that a little bit in jest, but um, the... Um, That's what's so fascinating about the election that's coming up, is that uh, if we have a a Labour government, then there'll be a continuation of the existing policy and we'll gradually lose interest deductibility on investment property. And in which case, if you're a property investor that's
1: geared, you should sell. Is that right?
0: Well, I I, I think um, there there will be um, plenty of cases where that's absolutely the case. Mm. Um, I think you've got to look at each property on its merits. Um, and, and look, I think one of the d- dilemmas that property investors often face is um, they think their return on their property is really good because they bought it years ago at a really cheap price. And so they look at it and they go, oh, that's such a great property, it's performing really well. The reality is they actually need to look at its performance relative to what it could sell for. So in other words, what, what's it worth? Because what's what's, what, what you're really trying to say is what else could you do with that money? Um, So you don't want to look at the historic performance of the property and go... you
1: mean you've got to look forward. You've got to look forward, not backwards. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, and so I think, um, that's one of the things I I find odd with a lot of property investors is that they still look back and they go, oh no, it's such a great property because I only bought it for, Mm. you know, 200,000, 15 years ago. I'm like, that's cool, but what's your return on it based on its value today? And you know, and, and quite often it might not be a very good performing property, in which mm. case, hey, sell it and buy a better one. Mm. Um, especially if you don't have any issues around bright line tests or depreciation mm. um, clawbacks or anything like that. That's mm. um, another thing you used to get was depreciation,
1: you know, back twenty years ago when I got started yeah, with yeah, my yeah. one still one investment property. Oh program. I mean look that you'd have to, you'd
0: have to say it, it's pretty unappealing to mm. own just just if you think about investment property and you go, hey, I just want to buy something, hold it long term, uh, is it gonna be a good investment? It, 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 it's it's really um, it's really against it. So
1: with an existing dwelling, you've also got all the um, healthy homes requirements to meet. Yep. So, you know, we've probably, most investors have probably made those investments under floor and, mm-hmm. um, And ground um, and ceiling and walls and heating and windows. And insurance
0: is getting more expensive. mm, Rates rates, is getting way more expensive. Um, You know, you can debate around your ability to increase rents. Mm. Um, Mm. It it can be quite muted, right? Because, Mm. yeah, sure, increased rents, people can afford Mm. it.
1: They've they've sort of consistently gone up about 3% a year because only a portion of landlords put their rents up. And so, you know, 3% gradual drift up is... But how, exactly. how, But yeah,
0: how fast has insurance and rates been going up? Hmm. And yeah. and healthy home standards yeah. and um, rental vacancy, property management costs. Yeah. You've got all of these costs around uh, property ownership that need to come into the equation, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think at the moment, it would be very hard to get a, a, a good cash flow property, mm-hmm. very hard, in the, the major metros. If you go to places maybe out in the provinces like Rotorua, you mm. could you could get something that would be a lot better cash flow mm. wise. Mm. Um, but, but you know for the mum and dad investor that you know that's probably not
1: the way to go, is it? No, well no, no. So 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 back to the question, should existing rental property owners as a general rule be looking to sell if they've say passed that bright line test which says they won't pay a capital gain. So I think the Bright Line test was moved from five yeah. to ten years about now two and a half years ago. <laughs> So if you bought before the Brightline test was extended, so your five-year duration, you really should have sold, Should sell as soon as you pass that five-year test, should you? I'm well, sort of getting into sort of quite full-on advice
0: here. But yeah, but, but, the well, well, I, think, uh, but uh, I think the thing that you've got to ask yourself, and then uh, I think it's speculative, right? Because the thing that you really got to ask yourself is not not what's happened in the past or what's happening right now, but if I sell now, Versus to sell next year or the year after, what are the you know what, what does that look like? Mm. Because if you had a view, I mean, this is why I was joking about the government thing. If you had a view that said, "Well, National's going to get back in," mm. um, we have got high immigration uh, the, because of the inflation we've already had and the impact on household incomes. That um, there will be some level of recovery in house prices in, in, in nominal terms. Mm. Um, down twenty, it bounces back, maybe ten or fifteen percent over the next couple of years. Then you would sort of say, "Well, holy cow, that's a fifteen percent improvement on mm. what I could sell it for mm. now. Mm. I'm better to hold and wait, mm. right?" versus sell now when the market's soft. Yeah.
1: yeah, I guess the point is you may as well wait and see what happens election-wise, and hey, if there's no change of government and the policy remains, you know, you've got three more years of pain, <laughs> then, then- Then you, you might. Know, prices have fallen yeah. sort of 20% after having risen 45, and so you probably, chances are you might be better off or you're probably better off, and so just hold and wait. So there is a bit of a waiting game, but the election outcome will probably be determined what happens yeah so you know so thinking about new builds then so if you did sell whenever it is Mm. or you're a first-time investor in which case there's zero interest deductibility for existing properties so there's really unless you're a cash buyer or a very low geared buyer there's very little rationale for buying an existing rental property unless the yield is really high but if we sort of assume for the mum dad investor with probably the sort of person listening to this podcast, then there's zero sense in buying anything but a new build today. But again, if the government changes, it suddenly becomes yep. sensible again. So, if I guess your bet is that the government's going to change, then now's a good time to buy an investment property. If not, um, the new build is a low risk, or it's really the low risk solution.
0: Well, I think I think you've got to ask yourself what sort of investor are you, and you know, we've probably jumped around again a bit. On this, but but fundamentally, you've got to ask yourself, what what sort of investor am I, and, and be honest about that, right? So most most property investors out there are passive. Mm-hmm. Most of them just buy something and hope it goes up in value. Um, yeah. and, and and they don't necessarily put a lot of uh, science around that. They just like something, they buy it, and they hold it and maybe it's a suburb that they like, or they think it's a cool area to live, in, and they buy something. Um, and, and they just hope that it goes up in value. So it's a very passive way of buying. The, the next layer up from that, from that level of passivity would be someone that goes, what areas of the city, generally the city that you live in, what areas do I think are gonna grow? Mm. Where's, where, where are the growth corridors? Where are people wanting to live? What's happening with the population? What's happening with work? And therefore, I'm going to be a little bit more strategic. Especially be... like
1: Auckland, school zones a big piece too. Yeah, those are, yeah.
0: yeah. But but you know, um, in Auckland, it's gentrification, right? As mm. the population grows, um, the the city pushes out, and what were you know, um, sort of I guess poorer areas of the the city suddenly become more and more popular and in demand with owner-occupied borrowers, Mm, right? mm. And so you think through it over years and years and years. I mean, you know, um, for all us old buggers, you know, Freeman's Bay and Ponsonby used to be cheap. You know, look at them now, right? Mm, mm, mm. Um, Point Chev, you Mm. know, like these are all really sort of beautiful suburbs these days. So you're saying
1: what's the next Point Chev? The thing is, it's yeah. going to be a lot further out,
0: right? Well, it's always pushing out. So you know, yeah. it was Avondale, and now it's pushing out. You know, and it's sort of New mm-hmm. Lynn and out further. And
1: well, in Wellington, you know, it's it's you know pushing up the Kapiti Coast over into the Wairarapa. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, house prices in the Wairarapa have moved probably more than Wellington in the positive sense in the last three or four years. As as working from home is another sort of factor too, isn't it? Suddenly totally. the commute isn't part of the everyday every day, working day life, it might be one or two or three days a week now instead of five. That's that. sort of our businesses. I think the average is about three days a week in the office for our people.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, so you sort of go, okay, so we've gone really passive and then we've gone, okay, let's be a little bit more strategic about it. That's typically where you might sort of start to go and talk to one of these um, sort of property investment firms like uh, like an Enable Me or oh an yeah. o or something because yeah. they start to give you a bit more data to, mm. to think through that and get a little bit more sort of strategic about it, then you get to what you'd call more active property investing, which is where you're starting to go, either you're doing you're doing one of two things. You're either going, how can I improve the cash flow of the property? So um, I used to do a little bit of this, which is I find something, I go, can I add a bedroom to it? Can I split it into two tenancies? So a uh, two tenancy would be a classic where you buy a 1960-70 two-storey house and you can uh, legally split it into two tenancies. To mm. so um, improve,
1: basically do some changes to improve the cash flow. Yeah. And you know, so long as the cost of those changes is minimal, but you, know, you can arguably double your cash
0: flow. Oh, 100%. So, you know, and then a more aggressive investors might think about putting a minor mm. dwelling on, mm. or they may
1: that's not the sort of mum and dad investor, though, really, is it? So that's a little a smallish part of the market. You know, most people don't want the hassle. I mean, with with my daughter, she bought an investment property. She lives overseas and yeah. bought an investment property. You know, we, we, we did cosmetic stuff, and I built some fences for her and put some new lawn down in that, you know. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything worse than doing much more than that. Um, yeah, no, and, totally. And I guess, I, you know, that would be but, sort of typical, you know. So, yes, there are opportunities. Lives. But for most people, set and forget is generally the way to sort of go.
0: Yeah, and, and so, so yeah, no, I agree. It's interesting though, so so what we're talking about there was some cash flow, right? And there's mm. actually quite a few investors that would do the basics. Yeah, the basics yeah. would be, it's got a big bedroom, you can split it in two, turn it into yeah. two bedrooms, right? Um, that's actually relatively simple to do, it's low cost and it increases your rent yeah. yield. Things like kitchens and bathrooms? Not not, not really. really, you don't need too much. Um, look. At the very bottom end of the market, um, where properties are quite run down, you can jump in, put some new benches and give it a lick of paint, some carpet, Mm. and get the rent up. Mm. And and it will make sense from a yield perspective. So there are investors out there that do that all the time. The next layer up, I think you're starting to get into speculation. Mm. And now speculation is interesting because very passive investors can speculate and very active investors can speculate, right? Because speculation doesn't have to be a high intensity activity. And and so what I mean is, and I, I mentioned this on the last podcast, is, is for example, you might just buy a house, uh, and this is where the second hand houses play into this, you might buy a house in an 800 square meter site, you have no intention to develop because you can't, you don't have the skills for it. Mm. You just want a land bank. Mm-hmm. And so your yield's going to be terrible. You're going to get really low rent on it. It's an existing property. At the moment, you're not going to have tax deductibility anyway, so you don't really care. What you're sitting on it for is, speculatively, you believe that at some point that land's going to be worth a lot more money to someone else. And uh, at the moment, with the market as soft as it is, these 800 square metre lots have come back a, a lot, right? And yeah. I, I mentioned last week a uh, developer that's buying properties at the moment for about a million where he was paying about 1.6 for them a year ago. Mm. And so, you so know... So for the, you
1: sort of, I think you said a passive investor yeah, could be a, what did you say, spec.
0: Well, it could speculate. Could so, speculate. So, so so You could, Dave. For example, you could just go and buy two or three investment properties that happen to be on eight hundred square meter lots, mm. they're gonna have a shit yield. Yeah. You're not going you're gonna be negative cash yeah. flow on them, you're gonna have to service it from income. So I'm gonna rent it out. You're, to rent You're just going out. to sit, it,
1: sit on it with yeah. a low rental yield knowing that sooner or later developer, because it's a decent-sized bit of land, you know, the, the development market will, will get moving again as demand increases. Yeah. Well,
0: one of the really interesting ones that I've seen, you know, and again, this is, this is not necessarily sophisticated investors, right, but I, I saw a really good example of this where um, the neighbours prop, they, they were on a, um, a good-sized site, right? They were on 800 square metres flat. And their neighbour's house came up for sale and they bought it. It was another 800 square meters. Hmm. So and suddenly then, you got
1: 1.1600 1. square meters, yeah. which is 10 townhouses. Isn't yeah, it? and
0: they held it. Um, they held it for actually I can't, I can't remember how, how long they held it for. I think they were going to get challenged on the bright line test on the second property, but um, they, they'd held it for a while, and then they flicked both sites off to a developer, hmm. and did very very well out of it. Hmm. And I think they. Th- 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 here was the cunning thing, right? They got hit with a bright line test on the second property because they hadn't held it long enough. Mm. But guess what the sale prices looked like on the two properties, right? Mm. The sale price on the 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 owner occupied, was the occupied really high. one was really high, <laughs> and the other one was <laughs> don't tell. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Hey, so over to um, new builds, there are other benefits of new builds other than, you know, the interest piece, which may or may not change. So what are some of those benefits of a new build as a sort of a pretty hands-off property investment? Well, I guess
0: that's the thing, right? So I guess new builds are good for people that just, it's just an investment, Mm -hmm. like shares or anything else, and they don't really want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, set and forget. Um, set and forget. Very limited maintenance, presumably. So it'll have no maintenance. It'll healthy. meet the healthy home standard. Yeah. Um, good demand for new? Is from yeah. tenants? Yep. Yeah. Better, better rental yields, typically, do you see? Oh, no, not better. Oh, oh much of a muchness. Much I mean, of a, yeah. look, um, it's hard getting a good rental yield full stop. But 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 you, you, I mean you've got tax deductibility, um you've even got chattels depreciation. So mm. you actually have got some level builds, yeah. on new builds. You've yeah. got some level of depreciation there. Um, look, often new builds are going into areas that are in high growth mode. Yeah, because that's yeah. what's that's why there's so, so much there are building activity going
1: in. There's community. You know, facilities going in, new supermarkets. Yeah, utility, you know, that
0: utility of a a, a growing suburb. So, look, there's, there's, there's. So, in
1: other words, the new build that's not a single one, you know, wedged in amongst others, but a new subdivision because you know there's going to be a whole lot of facilities there and it becomes more and more attractive. The more people are there, the more people want to be there because the facilities are sort of growing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, look, I mean, you get a mixture of new builds, right? You get Greenfields, which is sort of in new suburbs. Yeah. And, and, and those can often do really well. Mm. Um, I, I can't think of areas outside of Auckland because I haven't looked <laughs> yeah, here for so long Yeah, in Christchurch,
1: Rolleston in the south and up north um, towards yep. Kaipoi and Wellington. Um, you know, it's sort of pushing out in the Heart Valley, there's not that much in Wellington. Kapiti, there's a little bit. Um, so it's mainly in Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga too would be two markets where there's a lot of new greenfield stuff going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly in Hamilton. Yeah, um, uh, you know, yeah. So in Auckland, for me, you know, places like Hobsonville Point and stuff yeah, are just yeah. really good examples. Very accessible too, and FinCity, really, and yeah. really high sort of, uh, yeah, I guess just utility right for, yeah. mm, mm, um, for 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 the people that live out there. Yeah. Um,
1: so, yeah. hey, changing sort of theme a bit, again, for the sort of f- potential first-time investors, does structure like company, trust, um, all that, does that matter? Nah, or not really just... these days. It's, okay.
0: We're the most over-trusted country <laughs> on the planet, right? And I mean, we seem to put all these convoluted legal structures in, and maybe you know, it, it, at one point in time it was worthwhile. Um, And it's really weird because in Australia the vast majority of Australians own investment property in their own names. Mm, mm. Um,
1: So it was something driven by this whole look through company structure and deductibility of... Well and I think accountants
0: and lawyers just loving making extra money by putting complicated structures across people's properties. Okay so don't get a complex structure,
1: what about property management, do it yourself or employ someone to do it?
0: Oh, that's a hard one. I, I, I honestly, tenant managements and property managements are a pain in the bum. Um, so it's not. It, it, it isn't until it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that a I, way to describe it. You know, you can have the perfect tenant, then it's the fan. Yeah, so so I've I've always managed my own properties. Right, okay. Um, we've only got one left now because I've I've dropped all the resi stuff and gone into commercial. Yeah. In a big way. <laughs> We're sitting in it. <laughs> We're sitting in it. It's um, bloody nice, too. Yeah, it is bloody nice. Um, they come with all their own issues. City <laughs> yeah, tenants like Squirrel. <laughs> yeah, and, and tough banks. But yeah. Um, the, um, yeah, look, I, I, I've always managed my own properties, and, and my principle around that has always been uh, around getting really good tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the properties just look after themselves. Are there
1: really important disciplines around property inspections? Because often insurers will require that you do an inspection every three months and so on. Yeah, there are. Do you do those religiously? Or do you uh, just trust that you found a great tenant and yeah, so Yeah, Look look me if, if, if I'm completely Bloody honest. typical JB winging it a bit. Yeah. Well no,
0: Annalisa <laughs> looks after it so okay. and okay. she's really reliable. Okay, <laughs> so if
1: you're JB's insurer, it's all under control. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um yeah, no, ours really good at. It. Um we, we've always had really good tenants. Um but but you know, again, we only have purchased property in areas where we can get high quality tenants mm. and you know, So our tenants are paying quite high rent. So, so the sort of areas that we've mm. purchased property in the past would be, again, sorry, it's, 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 it's very Auckland-centric, but uh, you know, we've got a property in Castor Bay, so just up on the shore, that's the last investment property mm. we've got. We've had properties sort of around um, Avondale. Mm. You know, just that sort of inner-city fringe.
1: So what would you recommend? If you if like being hands-on and in control, then do it yourself, otherwise a property manager? Yeah. And well, and what does a property manager cost you typically? Percentage of
0: the. Oh, 7 to 9%. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 Although,
1: uh, yeah, And they all do all the worrying and tenants saying you often pay for the cost of when the tenant changes, you have to you know pay a week or rent and things like that, eh? But it adds up, but it takes away the worry. Is that
0: the guts it, of it? it? It does. Okay. Yeah. You know, especially if it's a high maintenance. What kind about
1: of, things like insurance? It's a given that you should be insured, right? Well, you um, have to be. What else? Um, you know, Accounting, employ an accountant or try and do it yourself?
0: <laughs> I'd, always, I'd always employ an <laughs> accountant. Employ an
1: accountant. So, yeah, if you're up for it, do it yourself. But, you know, the accounting... Well, I think
0: uh, what's interesting is I've always put my companies into... Uh, sorry, I've, I've always put my properties into, into structures, right? Mm. Like limited liability companies and trusts and stuff. I mm. Actually, going forward, I wouldn't do that. I, I, it just adds cost. I mean, I, I spend an exorbitant amount of money, uh, you know, doing accounts and stuff and tax and various other bits and pieces, and it, it's just a waste. Mm. Um, I over-engineered stuff. I, I would keep it real simple these days. Mm. I, I think family trusts all have a purpose around asset protection, mm. um, but, yeah, investment property, in all honesty, I'd probably just put it in my personal name mm. if I'm going to buy any more. Mm. Anything important we haven't
1: covered? I'll sum up, sum up in a moment, but...
0: Well, I, I, look, I think we could talk for hours about yeah. investment property. The best thing to do is just, you know, steer, I guess, listeners to our guides, which are on our guide that's on the website. Yep,
1: so go to Nz and... There's uh, a beginner's guide, beginner's to, property guide investing. to property investing. And that covers a lot of the stuff, you know, why do it and, and, and everything in between. You know with the uncertainty around tax changes we, we sort of haven't covered that in the guide in terms of what's coming hey so to sum up property investment long term uh, generally good good uh, investment a good investment you've got your bright line test that you' you know you want to be invested with a horizon of at least five to ten years typically uh, the tax potential changes that might come in under national or the existing Reduction of the interest deductibility, which would continue under a Labor government, you know, a, a, you know, <laughs> it's almost like invest in existing properties if you firmly believe that interest deductibility is going to be reinstated under a sort of nationally government. Otherwise, go for uh, new builds. I mean, there's a lot of benefits from new builds that we've talked about in terms of you know healthy homes and. Uh, some deductibility of uh, of a depreciation and uh, deductibility of interest, and you know, just you know, desirable and so on. Uh, you know, use a simple structure. Don't need to put into trusts and companies, but you know, take your own advice from a, an accountant. Generally, you can get advice on that sort of stuff pretty cheaply. Uh, use a property manager if you want to be hands off. Um, but if you like being hands-on, do it yourself. There's a whole bunch of legal obligations or insurance obligations you've got about keeping records of all that. Um, it can be the best thing you do managing yourself until it's not the best thing, like many <laughs> things in life. Yeah. It's the
0: right thing until it's not life, the right life's thing. Life's way too complicated to take on that level yeah. of responsibility, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and I guess more than anything, the opportunity to leverage is one of the real attractions of property because, you know, ultimately land is scarce, building costs, inflation means building costs are going up and leverage lets you almost leverage the rise in construction costs and just a low level of inflation, even 3% a year inflation still means that over a decade, you know, you've got a sort of 30 something percent increase in property prices and if your debt's not going up at that level, so long as your cash flows okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you're probably ahead. So, you know, the attraction of property investment is a little bit on the line in terms of new build versus existing. Um, and that will become clear over the next six months, but fundamentally, in principle, sort of a new build is definitely a good bet taking a long-term perspective. But there'll always be ups and downs. This is uh, not personalised investment advice, um, but hopefully this has been useful for you to, you know, explore some of the Pros cons, some
0: of the insights about property investment
1: uh, in New Zealand. Any final word, JB?
0: No, I, I, I reckon we covered it, and I can't even remember what we talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, if you need if you need advice, uh, go to Squirrel's website, book a chat with one of our advisors. It's one of the best things to do if you're getting serious, and uh, we can put you in touch with someone that's damn good at walking you through the process and helping guide you through that investment process and the lending mortgage side of it. Awesome. That's us for another week. See ya. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of squirrel as always we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action